This episode is sponsored by Anchor, the official host of Wellness and Wanderlust. Anchor is the easiest way to create your dream podcast. With Anchor, you can record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will then distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and other popular podcast apps. You can even make money from your podcast using Anchor. Anchor is your one-stop shop with everything you need to make a podcast. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome to the Wellness and Wanderlust podcast. We're here to demystify wellness and help you add a little adventure to your life. Tune in for a new episode every week where we'll hear from incredible guests and talk about ways to be happier and healthier in our new normal. I'm your host, Valerie Moses. Let's get started. Hey there, can you believe we are on episode 18 of Wellness and Wanderlust? Time flies. So whether you are brand new to the podcast, this is your first time tuning in, or you've been with us since day one, thank you for being a part of this journey with me. I am so excited to see where it takes us. Now we are at the beginning of a new year and this time is really a great time to be focusing on some of the challenges that we've had in our lives and how can we heal and move forward from those. I know for me personally, I've been spending a lot of time on inner work lately, especially because we are stuck at home still. The numbers for coronavirus are not really going down anytime soon. The state of emergency here in Central Florida has only been increased since the year started. So this leaves us alone with our thoughts and alone with a lot of the struggles that we've had for a long time. In the past on this show, I've briefly touched on my own challenges when it comes to food and body image. And lately, those have really been kicked back into overdrive, just to be honest with all of you. I've had some really amazing people on the podcast talking about intuitive eating and their own struggles with this area. And while that has been really helpful for me, it has also made me realize, wow, I need to still really do some work on this and really, you know, take a mental inventory. And so I decided to take a class with Gabby Bernstein called Finally Full. Now, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Gabby Bernstein. If you aren't, she's a writer, spiritual teacher. She wrote the book, The Universe Has Your Back. She wrote Spirit Junkie, Super Attractor. If any of you follow me on Instagram and have seen me show, you know, those cards every now and then, say things like joy is the ultimate creator or other affirmations, that is Gabby Bernstein. And she offers a course right now called Finally Full, which deals with spirituality around food addiction and eating disorders. And I have to say, I started taking this class recently and I've already found some really big takeaways from it. So maybe these are common sense to a lot of people, especially those who maybe don't struggle in the same way when it comes to food. But I feel like her words really hit home for me in a way that other books and talks and resources just really haven't. So I wanted to share that in case anybody else is going through what I'm going through right now. In the beginning of the course, she talks about how overeating and undereating, although that has never been my issue, is a control mechanism to keep yourself from being naturally guided and to cut off your connection to your inner guidance system, full stop. I thought that was just so insightful. It's not something I'd really ever thought of before, but she talks about how it's okay for us to abstain from certain food groups or from alcohol, from drugs, caffeine, what have you, if it's not going to be serving you, but that 
abstinence without spiritual guidance is chaos. So that really hit home for me because one of my biggest goals since really last year has been not just to be a healthier version of myself, but to incorporate more mindfulness into my life and just really listen to my intuition. And the way she talks about this, it's really about how food kind of shuts us off from those things at times when we use it in a certain way. And just evaluating the way we relate to ourselves, to our families, to our past traumas, and you know how food plays into that. And so I thought that was just so interesting. And I've already found this to be really, really helpful for me and some of the decisions I've been making lately. Now, I am in no way affiliated with Gabby Bernstein or really any of her products, but this is something I totally recommend. So far, if anyone here is struggling with their relationship to food right now, I go back and forth personally on how much I'm ready to share about my own journey on this podcast. But if that's a topic you guys do want to see in a future episode, drop me a line and let me know. All of this to say that this really relates nicely to today's topic. We're going to really delve into that mind-body connection. So this week's guest is Christina from Buen Camino, which is a blog all about gluten-free and health-conscious travel and lifestyle. Christina is a licensed clinical social worker and psychotherapist based in Joshua Tree and the creator of the Begin Within Today journal, which is a daily healing and wellness journal for those struggling with autoimmune disease, mental illness, and other challenges. Christina shares her own healing journey from chronic illness, the power of journaling and gratitude, how we can work toward our health goals while still being kind to ourselves, and so much more. We also get to hear about the 500-mile pilgrimage she took through Spain, which sounds amazing, and what we can do to prepare for a big trip like that or really any travels if we have food sensitivities. Christina was such a kindred spirit, and I really loved getting the chance to chat with her. We even get into some of the more woo-woo topics out there like human design, which was really fun to chat about. So I am so excited to share this week's conversation with you. So without further ado, let's dive in. Hey, Christina, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Well, I'm excited to have you here. Now, why don't you tell our listeners a little about yourself and about your wellness journey? So I have struggled or been challenged with chronic illness for as long as I can remember. Uh, So since literally since I was an infant and, you know, there were a lot of doctor's visits here and there, but it didn't seem to like impede on what I was doing and how I was doing it. And not to mention, they didn't have the information they have now, right, to make proper diagnosis. And it wasn't until I was about 19 years old that I was diagnosed with dysautonomia, POTS, really low blood pressure because I had fainting spells and we figured that out and that I needed, you know, to maintain a really high sodium, like good hydration diet. And then Later on, we discovered I had celiac disease and stopping gluten helped with so much in my life. Go figure. I wish I would have known that years and years Mm -hmm. before. And then as time progressed, I had gone and done some humanitarian work in Mexico and had gotten very ill to the point I had to break my contract with the NGO I was working with down there. I had to return home, was so sick, progressively getting more and more ill. 
And thankfully, you know, I was going doctor to doctor and each one was trying to put me on steroids and nothing against steroids. They just, they weren't trying to find what was going on. They were just trying to throw band-aids at me. And I'd gone to a naturopath at Bastyr University. It's a university in San Diego. And they had pointed me in the direction of a Lyme literate physician. I didn't know they were Lyme literate, of course, at the time. They're just a rheumatologist. And he took one look at me and knew what I had, which was Lyme disease and Lyme disease co-infections and mold and, you know, so much, so much more, an entire, an entire list of things as we found out as time progressed. But the big thing were the Lyme co-infections that we needed to treat right away as well as the parasites. And so it has been such a journey treating that. I mean, I got to a point where I, without without sounding hyperbolous, I thought I was going to die. I mean, I was couch bound. I was so incredibly sick and figuring this out was a huge part of that. And, uh, following, you know, his treatments and doing all that I could to take care of myself. I mean, it changed the entire trajectory of my life. However, in getting this sick, I became so healthy and I, you know, I really hold on to that silver lining because I'm a different person now. I think that's really incredible. You know, I think chronic illness and autoimmune diseases, they can be incredibly difficult to diagnose and it can, it can be frustrating. I think as a patient, as someone who's dealing with these symptoms and not really sure where they're coming from. And as you said, slapping a bandaid on it, but not really sure what the root cause is or how to treat that. How did you stay motivated through that? You know, healing isn't linear. And I had some, I had highs and lows through it all, but I was fortunate that I had such an amazing support system. Number one, number two, I have a lot of friends who are very deep into the wellness industry and they you know, they would send me resources and information. And it was someone who had sent me Dr. Terry Wall's protocol or her book, or she had sent me, I should say her, she, she spoke at a uh, TED talk. So she sent me a link to that. And that drove me to purchase her book. And for those who don't know Dr. Terry Wall, she was diagnosed with MS. She was wheelchair bound. I mean, she was in a gravity chair. She was deteriorating by the minute couldn't figure it out, decided to research what had worked in various studies on rats and decided to turn those, the ones that were successful into human, you know, human for, uh, portion sizes to apply to herself. And just through trial and error, she was able to get out of her wheelchair. I think she was even biking within six months, which was wow. a very big deal, you know, for having multiple sclerosis and being at that point. So she essentially was able to reverse the damage it had caused. So I purchased her book and in her protocol, she says, you cannot move forward with my protocol unless you journal. And that was, journaling was something I had done on and off again, but wasn't something I'd really taken seriously. It was something in my peripheral vision. So I, um, I began journaling and I created prompts for myself. I was so annoyed because I was couch bound at the time and I really wanted to just find a journal that had all of my prompts listed. So I didn't have to keep rewriting them every single night. And I couldn't find anything that was mind body related. Either it was a gratitude journal or, um, 
like a nutrition journal to just document what you've eaten and whatnot. Um, a mental health journal. I mean, all of those are great. I just needed like, <laughs> I needed them. All three of those combined the body, mind, and spirit into one. So I continued to write about it. As I, as I journaled for myself, I was at a point of feeling so disempowered by illness, feeling like my body hated me and I didn't know what was happening. You know, you lose, you lose hope at certain moments. I was able to gain my power back. I, I felt at least in journaling because I was able to figure out how the supplements were affecting me, how my nutrition was affecting me, uh, where my mental health was at and how that was affecting me when I was around certain people or doing certain things. I was able to finally connect dots that doctors weren't able to do because they weren't with me day in and day out. So that gave me a lot of hope, not just not just my community, but seeing that I had that power in my hands to figure out what was going on. Uh, that was a really big deal for me. And then I, the even larger than that too, I was able to look back on certain days and times or just be present in this moment and realize I had come so far, even though it didn't feel like it, even though it could have been the smallest change, you know, in one week or one day, um, being able to recognize that was a very big deal for me. I think that's so important. I feel like journaling in general is such a great way to look back and reflect on what's working for us and what isn't and how far we've come. And I know with my, I have Hashimoto's and with some of my issues, you know, a lot of times I'm feeling overwhelmed and, you know, not feeling my best. But if I were to, if I were, you know, tracking how I was feeling a year ago, I would see, you know, I really have come a long way from where I was, you know, a year ago before I started making some dietary changes and supplement changes. And I think seeing that can be really, really powerful. So Tell me about your journal a little bit, because that's how we met. And I'd love to know about the Begin Within Today journal. Yeah. And I just have to say, I mean, I have lots of diagnoses, but one of them is Hashimoto's. So I understand your your pain and your challenges <laughs> through that all. Um, so like I said, it didn't, it didn't exist. I was creating these prompts. And the way I created this, these prompts were, I mean, I wanted to jot down things as simple as my vitals, as simple as how much I slept, how well I slept, bowel movements, the food I ate, what I was drinking, you know, like those, those points. But then also I wanted to check in with my mental health, where my pain was, where my anxiety was, what symptoms I had. Then I did some you know, I delved into all sorts of research during this all about um, how important self-love is. And there was a woman who was really, really, really ill and took it upon herself to tell, to sit in front of a mirror and tell each body part how much she loved them, even though she didn't feel, really feel that way. But she was, she wanted to do this and like, she would just go through every body part and just speak love to it. And she, I cannot remember what she had, but she like fully recovered. It was pretty amazing to read about. And so I decided to add a self-love component of one thing you love about your body, because often, like I had mentioned earlier with chronic illness, we hate our bodies. We get to a point where we're really mad at our bodies. We think like they're out to get us. What are they doing to us? But in fact, our bodies 
love us. Our bodies want us to heal. Our bodies would never want to, you know, uh, torture us or put Mm -hmm. us in pain. You know, our bodies are here to protect us. So I added that component. I also am super into visualizations. They're, they're a big deal. They're, um, in my opinion, vital to healing. It's visualizing how it would feel to feel better because our, our brains do not understand nuances of what has happened versus what has happened. We can literally trick our brains into thinking we are feeling better. And so there's a, there's something, you know, you hope to do tomorrow, which is maybe, which is an easy question for some, but it's a big deal for our brains and our bodies. So anyway, I, I put a lot of thought into these questions for myself. And then I realized, oh my goodness, you know, not just, not just as a spoonie, as someone with chronic illness, but as a therapist, like this is so important for so many to be able to access and do every day. I was like, I need to figure out how to get this into, into journal form. And I, you know, I start, I tried, I looked for not just like content designers to help me put it together because I am not tech savvy in that way. And couldn't really find the right fit. So there was a lot of trial and error in creating this journal, not to mention I had to be very weary and mindful of my own energy, my expenditure of energy, because I was still very much healing. I mean, I still am technically, but I mean, I was like still essentially couch bound at that time. So uh, finally, my best friend figured out how to use Canva (laughs) and designed the content. And then I was so um, keen on finding the right artist for the covers and she encouraged me to use my own artwork and that was a big deal. So I got my artwork on there. We figured out the content design and over a little over a year later, it was ready to be published and provided to the world. So that's kind of its story. That's awesome. And I, I just have to say, I absolutely love the artwork and I find Canva to be my best friend with any of this because I do not have a design background. Canva is amazing. It is so amazing. It really yeah. is. I use it for pretty much everything. It's just, yeah, when it comes to like nitty gritty details, I had to have my friend who's a Virgo <laughs> do that for me because she's really great with details. Absolutely. And, you know, I think the self-love component is so real there. And you really kind of voiced how I feel as well as someone who I was very sick as a child. Um, I had these really bad ear infections, sinus issues that ended up having surgery at about, I think, six years old. And so my whole life, from what I remember, I don't ever remember feeling healthy And it can be really hard sometimes to trust your body and to love your body when you're like, I'm not really even sure how I'm supposed to be feeling right now. So I love the idea of actually telling your body how much you love it. And because you're right, I mean, even when our bodies don't appear to be working, our hearts are still beating, we still have, you know, things are functioning and they're trying their best. And if we you know, speak better to ourselves. I think that makes a huge difference in our healing and in just our day to day. And so I think that is so incredible to be including in there aside from the vitals and everything else. Yeah. And, you know, when I've had a few folks ask me like, okay, this is a lot of people say this is the hardest question of all the prompts is one thing you love about your body. And I, what I recommend and what I do for myself is 
the body part or the area that appears to be giving me the most trouble, that's what I focus on. So it could be anything like, for example, I was dealing with a blurry, blurry vision in one eye for a little bit. And so like every journal entry was like, I love my right eye. It is so strong. It works so well. I'm so grateful for it. And, um, Weirdly enough, I don't know if this has anything to do with it, but the blurriness has actually like subsided and I'm just, I'm just grateful regardless of how it happened, (laughs) but that's an example. Yeah. That, I mean, that's really incredible. I think self-love and self-care can be really difficult for Spoonies. I think, you know, we still want to do all of the things and it can be really hard to, you know, have the energy and the spoon sometimes to do that. Um, So what are some ways that we can work toward our health goals as Spoonies while still practicing that self-love and that self-care? I think the most important thing, first of all, is to realize that the fact that you are breathing as a Spoonie is (laughs) an achievement in itself, is enough. Like we, we tend to forget, we, Spoonies have this tendency to be very hardworking, maybe tend to be perfectionists, to want to do everything. And the fact is, we can do anything. We just can't do everything, right? But mm-hmm. we forget that like just, just our bodies healing, us breathing, us resting is an achievement in and of itself. And anything extra is a huge deal. So I want... I want to start off with that and that taking care of ourselves, putting ourselves first will not affect our relationships. They will only strengthen them. So, uh, you know, even for me, that took me a while to recognize. It's something I still have a challenge with because I'm a natural caretaker. I want to do everything for everyone else, put them first and most of my clients who are spoonies, like 99% are the exact, are the exact same way. And, you know, that comes from our own childhood experience. It's our way of survival. It's technically fawning, which is uh, fight or flight mode. It's the fourth variation of fight or flight mode, the fourth F. And, you know, getting ourselves out of that is important because when we're in fight or flight mode, we, you know, our bodies are going to prioritize us um, surviving, not thriving. And yeah, it's, it's an ongoing, you know, challenge for us to overcome, but it is definitely possible. And it just takes little steps. And I think the, the first step is recognizing we are enough, what we do day to day, even if that means us just sleeping, resting is enough for us to be loved, for us to be a part of our community, for us to be important in our communities. That is so powerful. I think especially the thought of putting ourselves first and the other relationships will follow because you're right. I think, you know, if your cup isn't full and if you're not taking that time for yourself, you are not bringing the best of yourself to those other relationships. And and I think those relationships can suffer. And the people in our lives, the the ones that matter. The ones that matter. Yeah, they'll they'll respect those boundaries and they will realize that they love us and they want us to be healthy and to be happy. And so I think the people in your life that are important are the ones that are going to recognize that and are going to value that for you. So I think that's such a powerful reminder for so many of us. 
It's really true. And I also like to say like when we heal ourselves, we heal each other. You know, that's, that's what's really important. Like it all, it all starts with us individually and you're right. <laughs> Not everyone will respond well to boundaries. That's true. However, the ones, the ones that do are the healthiest to have in our lives and the ones that don't, you know, that's something to work through with them and maybe with a, you know, mental health professional. Absolutely. What, what recommendations do you have for those of us who may struggle to set those boundaries? You know, what are some first steps that we can take? I think simply writing down what you want and do not want is, is a step because often we don't even know what we, what we're willing to accept or not accept in our lives, what feels good, what doesn't. And, you know, um, there's a book called When the Body Says No by Dr. Gabor Mate, and I recommend that to all Spoonies to read. But the premise is that, you know, when we do not say no to something that's not in alignment, that does not feel right for us, our bodies will begin to say no for us. And we've all learned that firsthand, right? Uh, mm -hmm. So creating that list of what you're willing, what kind of behaviors, what kind of work, what kind of relationships you you want in your life, you're willing to accept versus things you're not willing to accept. Um, figure that out first, and then the boundaries can come second. And with that being said, you know, boundaries, uh, you know, in, in theory, a boundary is so easy to set, but there's a lot of there's a lot of challenge and grief that comes with boundaries. Cause like I, we had mentioned earlier, you know, not everyone is going to respond well to them and that's, that's okay. That's okay. We're setting up a new relationship with them, but if they're meant to remain in our lives in a healthy way, they will stay. And if they're not, that's, that's too bad. Your health, your well being, your boundaries come first. They have to in order for you, not just to survive, for you to thrive in life. I just absolutely love that. And I just think that is so true and so important for us to remember what you said about our bodies, you know, saying no for us. I can think of times where maybe I was saying yes to everything going on and um, pre-pandemic anyway. And I would find, you know, I would have pain in my body that I couldn't place where it came from. And there were so many things going wrong where I would end up I was in urgent care and, you know, not really knowing what was causing it. And when I look back at my lifestyle at the time and my inability to really say no, I think that's why 2020, before the pandemic, my focus was truly on quality over quantity. And I think that was a big reason why just to really, you know, kind of prioritize my self-care in that way. I love that. I love that. I think so many of us have kind of recognized that with, with COVID, right? That's just been a, a silver lining in some ways. Absolutely. Now switching gears a little bit. So you, in addition to, um, you know, being a fantastic journal creator, you're also a therapist and you have a blog on both travel and holistic living. And I'd love to know more about what inspired that and a little bit more about what you do in your day to day. Sure. So actually I had a job I was not in alignment with for a long time. I worked in a hospital as a medical social worker and it was really intense. And as an empath, I was not 
practicing radical self-care. So I was taking a lot of energy on. Also, there were a lot of politics I was not fond of, and I just was accepting of it. Anyway, I had decided to complete a pilgrimage across Spain called the Camino de Santiago de Compostela. It's a 500-mile pilgrimage. It starts in, well, there's various paths, but the main path is um, saint jean pied de port in um, France and then ends on, you walk over the Pyrenees all the way west till you get to western northern Spain, which is Santiago de Compostela. That's so, anyway, <laughs> you, so during that, pilgrimage, I decided to start a blog just for friends and family to see what I was up to, what I was doing. And I absolutely loved being able to document it. And I got such great feedback from my friends and family. Then I started getting feedback from people I didn't even know. And they're like, what's going to happen next? Where are you headed to next? And they were super excited about it. And I realized, oh my gosh, I have an affinity for writing. This is really, really fun and feels good and feels in alignment with me. So I'd like to continue pursuing this. After I'd returned back, I decided to switch my blog. I think it was was it on Blogspot or I think it was on Tumblr and decided to actually, you know, I think it was like a year, it took a while to eventually switch it to a website, because that doesn't happen overnight, generally. And then in between, I started an Instagram. So it was specifically for for traveling, and there were small components of being gluten free. So as a celiac, traveling is a challenge, because, Mm -hmm. you know, we, we have to find places that don't just have gluten free food that I safely serve gluten free food. And I realized, oh my gosh, I'm spending so much time doing this research on traveling. When I travel anywhere, it requires tons of research. Unlike our non-celiac or non-food sensitive counterparts, you could just show up and eat whatever they want, which used to be me before I found out (laughs) I had celiac disease. But anyway, uh, so then I started really focusing on gluten-free travel and people love that. But as time went on, and as I discussed in the very beginning of this episode, my health kind of sort of deteriorated as time went on from from that point on. So I wanted to also kind of add in components of being a spoonie, of chronic wellness, of what that looks like. And because for, I don't think, I don't know how long it was for, I wasn't able, I wasn't able to travel. Uh, And I just, I wanted to talk about those aspects as well, because they're just as important. So it it really morphed into this gluten-free travel and health-conscious lifestyle blog all in one. And I'm really happy with where it's at and how it's evolved into that, because like all of us, we're constantly evolving and I wanted to take that with it. It's It's a very, it's a living, breathing blog and it's going to move forward just as I do into the world. That is so powerful. And I completely agree. You know, I started out as a college advice blog and, you know, it's definitely the experiences you have in your life, I think, really shape what you're going to write about and and how you can serve others. And I find travel can be really difficult and especially in certain places for those with food sensitivities. I don't have celiac, but over the years, I would experiment a little bit with Whole30 and with gluten-free, and I found I felt better, did the food sensitivity testing. Gluten was like off the charts, but still apparently not celiac. 
um, took it out of my diet for about a month or so, brought it back and had a nasty migraine the whole next day, felt just absolutely miserable. And I had like a heat pack on my back. It was just really terrible. And so I know gluten is not for me. And I have memories even just going a while back to Montreal with my mother and there's really fantastic food, but it's very rich and, you know, almost like the French food. And we really struggled to find stuff, I think for both of us that agreed with us and that I felt kind of sick for a few weeks after traveling. And so food has definitely become a huge part of what I need to take into consideration when I'm planning What advice do you have for people with food sensitivities who are traveling, want to still make the most of their trip, but also don't want to be bedridden or, you know, get sick? So so, um, on Buen Camino, I do have a like a a list of everything I recommend and I do for people traveling with food sensitivities. But I think the biggest the biggest thing is preparation. The amount of time I spend preparing for a trip is not a joke. Like I, I research the area I'm going to, what the plates are like, what is their food like? Is it, is it bread based? Is it rice based? Is it coconut based? I mean, every, every area is so different. I'm talking about, of course, international travel right now, but even if it's within North America, I like to know, are there gluten-free restaurants? You know, especially these days, I feel like most big cities have a plethora of gluten-free friendly restaurants that take uh, cross contact really seriously. So I look that up. I also, sometimes there's hotels and B&Bs that have gluten-free food that are gluten-free friendly. I look those up. If I'm able to stay in an Airbnb, that's pretty ideal because then I can go to the grocery store and pick, you know, the food I want to cook, I want to eat that I know is okay for me. And you know, eating whole foods, you're always going to be safe with whole foods. It's the packaged stuff that's scary. It's sometimes going to a restaurant that can be scary. Um, And although they're not really, I don't know if they're making them anymore, which is a super bummer, but there's something called the NEMA sensor. It's a capsule where you can put in a little bit of what you're eating to see if there's gluten in it. And they have a one for, they have one for peanuts too. And within three minutes, it tells you if something is, something has gluten in it, which was really awesome for any time I had, you know, question marks. Yeah, there's <laughs> there's a bunch of things I recommend, but preparation is the biggest key to traveling. And then I also supplement. I half of my what I bring with me is food. I have bars with I have anything that can be shelf stable I carry with me because you just don't ever know. And I don't do well with, when I'm hangry. I also have hypoglycemia, so you don't want to <laughs> You don't want to see me when I'm like that. And I don't function well when I'm like that. And I can feel like I have a like a hangover the next day when I don't eat enough. And I just, I like to stay, you know, two steps ahead. And then I always carry charcoal with me, even just here every day I have charcoal with me um, in case I do feel like I have any sort of contamination or if anything happened just as a binder to get it out of my system as soon as possible. Yeah, I think those are those are the biggest ones, but research and planning, guys. That's that's everything. That I mean that's so true and I I wish that that sensor had been around when I was a kid with a peanut allergy. That would have oh. been incredible. 
that, that is so cool. As far as doing your research, do you have any resources you recommend for kind of finding those gluten free or is it truly like a Google search or what do you recommend? Uh, so again, I have a list of, of what I use in terms of research, but uh, when, if you just were to Google like gluten-free and the city you're going to, you are likely going to stumble upon a blog entry. Someone has written about the area who has done the work and the research for you. And that's kind of one of the fun parts, I think, for bloggers. And if you feel called to writing, I highly recommend doing it yourself. Like if you, if you go somewhere and you want to experience what's going on and someone hasn't written about it, like you can be that missing link for someone who's looking at traveling there. But anyway, these days, I feel like there's an entry for most places. And that's, that's where I recommend starting is looking for those bloggers who've already been there. That's awesome. And I, I believe you have a resource for that as well on your website. Um, tell us a little about your practice and what resources and services that you offer. Oh, I was going to say, Nima, the the sensor that I had mentioned earlier, they have an app and you can see, you don't need to have the sensor to download the app, but you can see what people have tested all over the world and where and what plates oh, wow. to be super specific. And then there's Gluten-Free Find Me, which is a, another free app. You can pay for additional features, but you don't need to. So they list well, it's a community effort. They list all gluten-free places in various cities all across the world. So I just wanted to to mention those. But yeah, to answer your your question. So I am a licensed psychotherapist and I primarily see clients with chronic illness and I offer one-to-one sessions. I'm also soon going to be offering uh, groups and I haven't decided how that's going to work. If it's going to be via age group or type of chronic illness, that's to be determined. But stay tuned for that in 2021. Uh, yeah, that's th- those are the two things I mainly offer, aside from the journal, of course. And, you know, a lot of people talk about, you know, group versus individual therapy. And I've been hearing some really great benefits to group therapy. Can you talk a little bit about for this particular group with, you know, with chronic illness, why group therapy could be a benefit? So group therapy is amazing because it creates this sense of community, this sense of belonging, this sense of, oh my gosh, I am not the only one experiencing this right here, right now. It's so incredible in, you know, recognizing what's going on with yourself and processing information. There are a lot of aha moments that happen in group settings and a lot of incredible change. Like it's, it's great. It's a great addition. It really complements one-on-one therapy in my opinion. And I think it's underrated. (laughs) I don't think enough people talk about it. I don't think enough people do about it, do it, but anyone I know who has experienced group therapy, including myself on both sides has seen how miraculous it is. And how comforting it is. And most people even say they really like count down the days until the next, you know, group therapy meeting. That's so powerful. I think especially having a group of people with, you know, maybe they have some similarities. They're still coming about it maybe from slightly different perspective, but you have this support from people who care about you, but they're not 
you know, directly in your life as far as family where they have a vested interest in things going a certain way and they can really be a part of that journey for you without, I think, taking things too personally if you don't do it exactly the way they want you to do you know sure sure it's a little bit you know it's it's slightly objective in that way and the people there often get you right you're not having to provide mm-hmm. i know i say as a, a therapist who works with clients with chronic illness you don't have to provide subtitles to me because mm-hmm. i've heard of done research on most ailments i have a lot of them <laughs> so the same thing with the group it's you know, whatever you are, you know, the specific group you are in, what you are going through, they understand, they know where you're coming from. You know, unlike maybe your, some of your family members or some of your friends who have no, they just, they really, they can't really um, empathize and understand. Yeah. I think, I think that's something that's so true for Spoonies is, you know, I think, that's why social media has been so powerful for me getting to connect with people that way because you're right, sometimes these diseases they're kind of invisible and you know you're living your daily life and you may not even appear sick you know so people in your life may not understand why you have absolutely no spoons at that point in time but to be part of a group where people get it and i think oftentimes you have one chronic illness you probably have more there, are, I have even vertigo that people think may be associated with thyroid disease. You know, there's all these different things. And so to have people that can kind of understand it and relate and you're right, not having to provide, you know, subtitles for those people and, you know, having that group, I think could be incredibly, incredibly powerful. Now, I would love to dive into some rapid fire questions so our listeners can get to know you a little better. Mm-hmm. What is your top wellness tip? I would say breathing, just bringing everything back to the breath, taking deep breaths, practicing the four, four, four breathing practice, which is four seconds in, hold for four seconds, four seconds out. I just think it's important to anytime you're feeling your feelings to bring it back to your breath. It's free. It doesn't cost you anything. Mm -hmm. It's super easy to do. I think that's that's the biggest one. And there's so many after that, of course, it's like a thousand. I know. <laughs> I know. I'm asking, I'm asking a, you know, a therapist for, for wellness, tips. just one wellness tip. I can't. I know it's a hard question. And I love that. I think breathing, I have found so many times we're just taking a few minutes, not even that long, but just taking a few minutes to focus on my breath. I'm out of that fight or flight response. I'm ready to think a little clearer just feel a lot better. So I think that's fantastic. And you're right. It's free. It's totally free. And the other thing I know, I know you said just one, but like being able, if you're feeling kind of a little bit anxious or maybe panicked, bringing it back to your senses, like focusing on something you can touch and feel something you can smell, focusing on a specific color in the room and counting how many times you see it, you know, that that brings you back to your into your body because when we're experiencing those things we're often you know outside of our bodies and you know it's it's all about the somatic and the mind and the body and and pulling those two together so yeah that's that's another easy technique to do i love that now i have another really hard question for you <laughs> your favorite travel destination um <laughs> 
I have had the privilege of visiting 32 countries, so it's it's so it's so difficult. Uh-huh. I love Iceland, and I cannot wait to return back. There's so much left for me to explore. I loved, I loved how clean it was and how majestic it was. I'd like to visit in every season because they really do have four seasons. I love hot springs. They're, I find them to be really healing if your body can tolerate them, and there are so many to jump in. I think it's like the country of hot springs, truly. So um, I think that would have to be one of my favorites. I was definitely on my list for sure. You'd love it. Yes. Now, this isn't exactly rapid, but um, the Buen Camino, I would love to know a little bit more about that pilgrimage and what you did there too. So I forgot to mention, I told you I was not in alignment with my job and then I decided to do this pilgrimage. So there's, there's a really good, a friend of mine had done it. And that's how I heard about it. And then a movie came out in 2010, but I didn't find out about it for a few years or four years later. Um, It's called The Way. It's with Martin Sheen. And that's a great intro to the pilgrimage if you're at all interested in it. So I watched that and I'm like, oh my gosh, I I really need to do this. The pilgrimage was just amazing and life-changing in a plethora of ways. And although I returned back to my job when I <laughs> when I came back, I thought I'd come back and I'm like, I'm quitting, I'm moving on with my life, but I really wanted to f- finish my licensing hours so I could, you know, um, sit for the board exams and actually be licensed. And so I did stay a bit longer, two or three years <laughs> longer afterwards, but the goal was there, right? The, I was, it was all set in motion for me to move forward. Um but yeah, what would you like to know specifically about the pilgrimage? Oh my gosh, what was what was your favorite part, and like, what did you learn from from the experience? Because five hundred miles—that's that's a—I mean, that's incredible. And I would just love to know what lessons you learned along the way. What? Oh, so I mean, so many. Um, the thing with the pilgrimage is like you can take as long as long as you have the pil- the the privilege of time on your side and in your hands you can take as long as you need. And there's, there's villages every few kilometers. So like every, you know, two to three miles, you're, you're going to come across a village. So if you're feeling too fatigued or tired to move forward, you're okay because you're going to be able to rest there. And they're often going to have, you know, private rooms for you or uh, like hostel styled places called albergues is what they call them. So what I, things I learned were like, how strong and resilient I am. I don't think I truly recognize that until I, until I did it. I also didn't realize I can live out of a freaking backpack. Like all I need is what is in my backpack, which is, which is so like, I don't know, that was big for me. That was really huge for me. And The other thing, and this, I know this isn't the purest way is, so I had like my hiking, my small hiking backpack, and then I had like a real backpack and you can actually pay for someone to transport your backpack to your next destination. Just as long as you know, that's where you're going to end up just as long. But if you don't, you know, like who's to say you can't. And I did this a couple of times. I, I wrote about it all in, you know, it's all in my blog, but like, I did take a taxi a couple of times and a bus if I felt like I couldn't make it to the next destination. And that, that I didn't feel like ashamed for that or anything. I'm like, this is what's right for my body. I'm not going to, 
if I, if I keep going, I'm going to need two days of rest. And that's not what I'm trying to do here. So there's so many options to make it easier for yourself, but not having the 20 pounds on my back was really important for me. So yeah, being, being, I was, I was humbled more than once in that they say the Camino provides, and it really did, you know, back then I did it in two, end of two, the end of 2015. So wow, five years ago, there weren't very many gluten-free options. <laughs> Char products were there, thank God, but those were in the larger cities, not in the small, tiny towns in between. So I would like stock up on Char products in that backpack to last me. But yeah, just just returning back to the basics. That's that was the most important thing and I love that the only stress I had was figuring out what what I was going to eat and where I needed to get to next. That was the only stress I had. Up until then, I just got to focus on myself and and getting there and breathing and all of the amazing brilliant interesting people I met along the way. Oh my gosh, you will never be bored if you do this. Like you are, even if you go alone, you are never alone. It's, I you know, a couple of my best friends I met on that journey. That is so incredible. And I'm feeling inspired and hoping someday that with this pandemic to plan something like that, because it sounds like such a transformative experience. It really is. I would, if you're truly interested, go watch the way that will like give you the impetus to start planning like now for when things open back up. I had a friend, long story, she got stuck in Spain because um, visa issues. So she got stuck there during their lockdown. And finally, when things were lifted, and theirs was intense, by the way, it was way more, way more intense than ours has been. So finally, it was lifted. She felt inspired by the blog and decided to to do it. So she, she did it as soon as it was lifted there. And although, you know, they wore a mask the entire time, she still said it was so transformative. So even though it may shift in how it looks like compared to when I did it, it's still going to be fantastic for anyone who does it in the near future when it's safe. That's absolutely amazing. Yeah. Now I almost feel weird diving back into these rapid fire (laughs) questions. No worries. Um, so this is on a completely separate note. If you were an animal, what animal would you be and why? Oh, that one's always so, so tough. So for the longest time, it was a lynx. A lynx has been like, been told that's my quote unquote spirit animal. And they are very majestic and they can climb up really high. They're agile. They're just these beautiful, smart creatures. But since I've moved to Joshua Tree, I feel, <laughs> I got a bird feeder and I feel like I feel like I have natu- the National Geographic in my backyard. It's like a total setting. It's uh, oh. pretty incredible. So I, I get to see all of these birds come through. And granted, they go through two pounds of my seeds within less than 24 hours, so I don't get them for too long. But um, just watching them has been really amazing. And every once in a while, a hawk will swoop down and they'll all flutter. So I've realized I don't want to be one of those birds that have to flutter. (laughs) But the hawk is like really just this amazing creature that I'm thinking, I'm feeling like a connection to these days. So I think that's, that's the answer to your question. They they get to see so much from up above and 
minus the killing of cute like <laughs> birds and <laughs> creatures like they they're really wonderful yeah I I absolutely love that I think the hawks have such a presence Mm-hmm. And I, th- I think that's such a great animal to be. And I have to ask too, do you happen to know your human design? I do. I'm a manifester 5-1. Okay. When you, when you were talking about being up in the tree, I was thinking projector. I don't know why I was thinking projector, but I definitely had to ask. I am a projector. I don't know too much beyond that. Um, oh, you need to get a reading. You need to get like a proper yeah. reading because – it's, if you look, I'm a manifester, but it's, it's, you know, for those listening, it's kind of complicated. It's kind of like an astrological chart, but mm-hmm. I have all my auras are open, which makes me perceive to be a projector, which is why you probably thought I was one, if that makes sense. That is so funny. Yeah. I, Cause you know, even just with chronic illness, I feel like so many are projectors and then I, there aren't that many reflectors out there, but usually the non-energy beings, I feel like everyone I, I know that knows their human design that has it is usually one. So that is really interesting. And it's so true. It's, it's so much more complicated than just the four or five types, but yes, I definitely had to ask that. Yeah. Bonus question. yeah it was a bo- but yeah, there's the profile type. So five, one investigator, uh, heretic. So yeah, that, that tells you something. And then you go, you delve into actually what the chart looks like. Yeah. It's fun. It's a lot of fun. Yes. All right. What is your number one favorite show to binge? Uh, I mean, I'm obsessed and I'm so sad it's over with Schitt's Creek. Yes. Uh, So good. I'm really, I mean, I guess they ended it like in perfect timing, I suppose. But I, if anyone hasn't watched that show, they need to. It's funny. It's heartfelt. It's inclusive. It's everything. It's such a fantastic show. I feel like I could start a fan club just with guests of the show because <laughs> um, that's been a very popular answer. It is such a fantastic show and it ended I, – I was crying a little bit at the end and I don't really cry watching anything. Such a great show. I know. Same here. And you can tell – and they even said in an interview after, they're like, what you saw that last episode was not our characters. That was us like being sad that the show was over. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh, I love you guys. Yeah. I, I just believe all of them as a family, as a big dysfunctional, <laughs> yes. A dysfunctional yet loving family. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so on a similar note, what is your favorite social distancing activity? Well, right before we had this new lockdown, I had quite a few friends visiting Joshua Tree, like either camping or staying out Airbnb. So what we would do is gather around the campfire or just their fire at their Airbnb. And now I have a fire that I get to use, just built. Um, So I'm excited to do that tonight, hopefully. But that's been my favorite because, you know, you you can sprawl out around the fire and still still feel that connectedness. Um, but second to that would definitely be hiking and then third picnicking. That's incredible. I mean, you're such, you're in such a great place for all of those things. I think Joshua tree, Joshua tree and Sedona are like my next two that are on my list that I absolutely just feel a calling. I have to go. You have Um, to go. Sedona is magical. I feel like everything will be healed. If I go, (laughs) you may not want to leave. That's what I'm forewarning you of. 
my mom and I are talking about going there when everything is a little safer because she and my dad went a, a few years ago. And unfortunately, my dad, I think he might have even had some elevation issues. Um, my mom said she's never felt healthier. And yeah, so I'm afraid that I'm never going to go back. to. And I love Florida, but that I'm never going to come back. But Joshua Tree is also on my list. And, you know, it, I mean, you're in such a great place for all of those activities that you mentioned. Yeah, and it'd be easy to just do knockout both if you were to fly in and because I'm only like four or five hours from it. So it's an easy drive. Yeah, and that's an area I'd want to drive to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, especially northern, all of northern Arizona, southern Utah is like a dream. That's incredible. (laughs) Now, Christina, thank you so much for joining us today. Can you tell our listeners where they can find you, learn more about you? Sure. Uh, First of all, thanks to everyone who listened. I'm so excited to connect with you outside of here. You can find me at either beginwithintoday.com or at on Instagram and other social media at begin within today. And then the spelling of this is a little bit more complex, but (laughs) on the Camino de Santiago, something that's commonly said is Buen Camino, which means to wish you a good path. And that really stuck with me. The problem is the C was taken. So I had to switch it to something (laughs) that would phonetically sound like it. And hence Buen Camino with the Q. So that's spelled B-U-E-N-Q-A-M-I-N-O. Again, B-U-E-N-Q-A-M-I-N-O.com or at Buen Camino for Instagram and other social media. And I just have to say, I love that name. I love the meaning behind that. I think that is um, just so powerful and, you know, good path, good way. I think that it's a really great name. Yeah, yeah. And it doesn't, it it expands like past just, you know, the Camino, it's, it's, it's wishing people a good path at any point of their lives and whatever they're doing. And um, it wasn't beholden to one specific thing. And that's, that's why it really stuck with me. So thank you for saying that. Absolutely. Well, I wish you a buen Camino. And I want to say again, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on the show today and for sharing with our listeners. I feel honored. Um, yeah, you, you've just been wonderful. So thank you. And thank you again to everyone who listened. That was Christina from Buen Camino. I thought this conversation had a lot of really great takeaways, especially when it comes to grounding techniques and breath work. I actually have a digital copy of her Begin Within Today journal, and I love the focus on self-love, especially when she talks about directing love toward a part of your body that may be giving you trouble right now. I think that is so important, and I truly believe in the healing power of putting things down on paper and journaling. So if you are looking to add journaling to your own wellness practice, and I think you definitely should, you can get 10% off your Begin Within Today journal using code wellness10 during checkout. I will link all of that along with Christina's information in the show notes. As always, I love hearing your feedback. I am inspired by the topics that you guys have sent in. They have directed a lot of these episodes. So if there is a topic or a guest that you would like to see in a future episode, you can always shoot me a DM at wellness and wanderlust blog on Instagram or shoot me an email at Valerie at wellness and wanderlust.net. If you liked this episode, I would love it if you could rate and review the show. It helps other people find it. And share it with a friend that you think they would enjoy. You can even take a screenshot and put it in your Instagram stories. Tag me. 
Thanks again for joining us and I look forward to seeing you next week.